Hello, and welcome to Never a Dull Moment. Here is a brief to think about. Thanks for joining. So a brief, you're the first brief ever. You are an expert and uh, answer some questions and hope to see you again on the show. Today, we're talking about IP for founders. Intellectual property. Intellectual property. A founder starts a company. The first thing they think about, oh my God, I have to protect the company. I They start spending money on IP. I have such an amazing idea. What should I do? So let me, let me take the role of someone who doesn't know anything about IP. And let's start by asking you some fundamental questions. And then we'll tell everybody who you are and where to find you at the end. <laughs> Great. So a patent. Someone said it's not a patent, it's a patent. Is it a patent or a patent? Well, that's a great question. When I am talking to Siri and trying to to dictate something to Siri in my car, it's a patent. (laughs) However, because if I say patent to Siri, it comes out as patent, as in general patent. So I say patent, (laughs) but when I'm speaking with Siri, I say patent. Okay. All right. Uh, that's funny. So what is a patent? And should, I mean, that's a, we could spend two hours on it, but as briefly as you can, what is a patent? And should someone just rush and get one? Well, so a patent is a, a government grant. Um, it's a grant by each government. Every country has their own patent system where they grant a monopoly to inventors on inventions, sort of creations, which have typically technical, but not always, utility. So a patent is a simple way to think about a patent. It's it's a government-granted monopoly on an advance, an improvement, whether it's in a process or in a design machine. Uh, possibly in a composition and so forth. There are tree, there are there are patents on plants that could cover trees and the like, but that's less common. So your typical patent is on a technical improvement, though, though there are other flavors. Okay. Okay. So in a way, it's to protect that advancement or that creation invention that a founder has come up with. Somebody has come up. It may not be the founder, uh, but he, yeah. it could an employee. It could be consultant in, uh, th- that who is assigned his rights or her rights. But yes, that somebody has come up with, and uh, probably a human as opposed to for those who are interested in artificial intelligence. It's probably not an invention that a machine has come up with. But that's a an esoteric question. But yes, it's a it's an, creation by day. a person. Maybe yeah, one, one day. day. Okay, and to also clarify. Who owns the patent? Is there a creator and an owner? Uh, how how does the ownership structure work in general? Generally, so uh, it depends on the country. Uh, it's probably the simplest thing to say is if it's an employed inventor, it's the company he or she works for. If it's a consultant, that is a not not an employee, but somebody who's doing an independent contractor. It may be owned in the first instance by him or her, and in that case, it's very important 
to have a consulting agreement in place. Now, this this is all much more complicated than that, but the typical scenario in the U.S. and abroad is the company owns the inventions of its employees if the company has done all the usual and normal things, uh, for example, employment agreements, making sure there's a true employment relationship and the like, on the one hand. On the other hand, typically the consultant will own it unless there's a consulting agreement in place. And I would like to say putting consulting agreements in place is usual and common, but I, as an entrepreneur yourself, you know, sometimes that doesn't happen. And sometimes there are... Um, informal arrangements that are never quite fully worked out. So one needs to be very, very careful to get that all, I'll say in writing is the easiest way to, to establish the relationship okay. in writing. And there is something called inventor and there's something called owner, correct? Or they often are the same. Well, in the old days in the United States, they um, could be, uh, different. The inventor was initially the owner until the inventor assigned his or her rights. Now, again, there may be an employment agreement in place, but typically um, the way we think of it in the United States now is there is an inventor, not so much an, uh, an owner, but an applicant, which is often the owner. So who's applying for the patent and who would, did the inventive work? The applicant is often the owner. Sometimes the applicant is the inventor herself or himself. Uh, it's not the distinction you're raising is uh, frankly not wildly significant. Once one gets beyond the question of who uh, gets that uh, written agreement in place, gets that agreement in okay. place so it's known who owns it. Now, of course, you could invent something on your own. You, in that case, would be both the inventor and the applicant and the owner. And I may decide that I want that invention for myself. I could buy it from you and you would assign the rights to me. You'd still be the inventor. I would now be the owner. And one of us would be the applicant, depending on how we, in the United States, worked the paperwork with the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Likely, if I were buying it, I would also want to be the applicant. Okay. And uh, um, where does one go to see if there's a patent already in existence? They want to double check. Um, is there a registry? What, what do you recommend as a place to quickly check on a patent? The, it's, that's a complicated question. Oh, it's a very simple answer, it's, but it's, it won't be satisfactory. I go to patents.google.com. Okay, that's, that's, that's a start. That's a starting point, but that's, that's like somebody walking up in front of the library. It's like saying um, somebody who doesn't speak English, the English language um, standing in front of the Library of Congress and, <laughs> and the person asks, the, asks a stranger in front of the Library of Congress, where do I find, where do I find uh, Portnoy's Complaint, the, you know, a famous book from the 1960s, um, and the stranger points at the Library of Congress. <laughs> it's in there. Okay. Sure how are you going to find All it? All right. Uh, okay, great. I, IP, intellectual property, that's not just patents. So can you give us broad lines on what is intellectual property outside patents? It also includes the sort of oldest form of intellectual property, which are trade secrets. 
It includes copyrights, which are a newer form of um, intellectual property, trademarks also. Um, there are mask work rights, which are not relevant to many folks outside the uh, chip industry and the semiconductor industry industries. Um, there are rights that we don't typically think of in the U.S. Um, there's a bundle of, of rights, moral moral rights. We don't tend to think of them in the U.S. They are moral rights that that are typically rise in Europe and, and in other countries. A sort of a, not a lesser form, but just not as significant to us. Um, and there's a broad notion in some of the treatises about the law of ideas, which is sort of a catch-all for uh, various, uh, a patchwork of laws, typically common law, that might protect things that are not, not either specifically inventions nor necessarily trade secrets nor necessarily copyrightable, etc. But your biggies, the, the four biggies are patents, copyrights, trademarks, and trade secrets. Okay. And you keep saying in the U.S., and we know from the startups we see at Boston Harbor Angels, they always say, well, we have a patent application in the U.S. and then in Europe and in China. And so every country is different. And then you have to protect yourself in as many countries as you can, right? It would be nice if one could, but that can be expensive. So you typically have to be smart about it. And pick the countries that matter to you from a business perspective. And um, then you can even be smarter than that. You you should certainly know which ones are important from a, a business perspective or from a competitor's business perspective. And then you can even be smarter than that if you need to be. If you have the money to cover those countries, you would, but you might cover half of them or a quarter of them on one filing, one patent, that is the, the foreign equivalents of one patent, and then another foreign equivalents of another patent, you might cover a different set of them. So if you've got a limited number of resources, let's call them probably a bad analogy, but breadcrumbs. I'm going to be walking from A to point A to point B. Uh, and possibly to point C. I only have so many breadcrumbs. I'm not going to drop them all the way. I'm going to scatter them and put them, I'm going to be strategic. Maybe I'll put them every third point on the route from A to B. When I go to C, I'll put them every fourth point and, and so forth. So one can be even more intelligent than covering every point or every country of interest. One can start to scatter them in a way that would... Um, block a competitor effectively without necessarily spending all the money that could be spent. Okay, here's a here's a question. When should a founder reach out to an IP lawyer and say, let's talk, I need to start thinking about protecting my idea, my programming, my whatever? I think that it's hard as a lawyer not to say immediately. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it is. I mean, it is difficult to say that. Uh, as a lawyer, when I thought about buying a house, um, the first thing I thought of is, okay, well, I, I do want to find the house. I want to have an idea what I'm looking for. But I contacted and engaged a lawyer immediately. Didn't mean I paid the lawyer immediately, but I wanted to get somebody lined up. And I spoke with him in this case, could be her, but I spoke with my lawyer when I bought a house early on to make sure he or she was 
on board and that we were going in the same direction, that he or she could cover me and would be able to answer questions quickly. Um, in the case of IP law, and by the way, this is true of corporate law as well. Get a lawyer engaged early on. Doesn't mean you pay them early on. You you do need to pay them, but early meetings typically are not. Sometimes they're at cost. Sometimes they're not. Work that out. But um, understand from the lawyer, even in a brief meeting, when you should really engage the lawyer, whether it's on the corporate side or the intellectual property side, to get that patent application in, to think about protecting those trade secrets and the like, when to get the timing in place. And then as you really get your company moving, uh, and perhaps before that, follow the lawyer's advice and get back to them and begin to work with work on the details. So all lawyers are equal. Um, maybe not. What does that mean? In, <laughs> uh, are you so we're all fungible? Yes, we're all fungible. We're all identical. Uh, um, <laughs> some ways we are. Okay. So, but tell us from an expertise perspective: Are there IP lawyers that are that specialize in biotech, uh, technical, uh, hardware? Are there generalists? Just give us a flavor of. The IP lawyers, how, what shapes and sizes they come in? Yeah, so intellectual property lawyers do do, do cover there are a bunch of flavors, if you will, of intellectual property lawyers. Um, they they tend not to be uh, generalists per se that that cover a lot of everything, but uh, uh, very little of specific areas. That is, most IP lawyers should know the landscape. They should know what a copyright is, at least at a high level. They should know what a trademark is, usually more in depth. They should know a trade secret for sure. And then when it comes to patents, there are some very clear distinctions. There are high-tech lawyers who generally know um, all things digital, that is computers and digital, uh, digital electronics. They may also be good at analog electronics, which is um, not uh, not a less relevant field, but um, something more out of the 60s, 70s, 80s, and before. Um, they may know computer software particularly, but you can dive into the, that technical side on the uh, the high tech side, the digital side with a particular lawyer. There are high tech. Uh, there, I'm sorry. There are life sciences lawyers. Um, the most uh, more specialized of them may be in the biotech area and they may know genes they may know small molecules they may know pharmaceuticals and so forth but you'll find as you talk to a specific lawyer that they have um, interesting overlap that is many lawyers though they seem to be on the high tech side can handle quite a bit of life sciences work these days because a lot of life sciences has turned into artificial intelligence um and um sort of digital electronics yes there's some real testing going on um but you find the over the overlap there is considerable overlap these days between high tech on the one hand and life sciences and more particularly the biotech uh, and some of the biotech side so okay. yeah there are distinctions um there are pure copyright lawyers who tend to do media work but many lawyers who do high tech know copyright law well most ip lawyers should know who do work with companies will know trademarks quite well. Mask works is very, very specific. Not everyone will know that. Uh, plant patents is quite specific if you if you have a new <clears throat> new um, um, 
technology, if you will, plant technology that's there to yeah. cover them, design patents and so forth, uh, less of a specialty, but yeah. Okay. They're flavors. What about, so getting to know your IP lawyer is important because they're not going away, right? Your IP lawyer <laughs> will stay like with you. Cold. We never go away. <laughs> but they'll, because they, people talk about uh, patent family, improvements, added, uh, um, added advancements to your to your portfolio um and and let's talk a little bit before you answer this about the life of a patent right a patent has a certain number of years assigned to it that can run out so you have to make improvements to it so your your patent lawyer stays or your ip lawyer stays with you typically i mean if there are i've over the years run into people have very different philosophies um my sense is that the client attorney and client relationship is best long term. That is, if the two parties get along and the work is being done well properly and everything else, it's probably best. And by the way, I had this conversation last night, not about intellectual property, but by about with somebody, not you, obviously, but about uh, financial management. I mean, actually, let's let me turn the tides on you quickly. Financial management. Would you would you call a different financial manager every day? Hey, I'm thinking of buying this piece of stock or that piece of stock, or I'm thinking of putting money in a bank account versus a, a bond. Would you call a different financial manager every day with those questions, Ziad? I bet the answer is no. You probably I, I don't wanna I don't know anything. Yeah, about no, you. you get to know someone and, and they get to know to, you. They, and they, they get, get to know you. you. And because you want to call your financial manager and, and intellectual property lawyers are no different, and corporate lawyers are no different. And your real estate lawyer is probably no different, but in general, as they get to understand your portfolio, in the case of intellectual property, and as you know, financial management, as they know your portfolio, you may call them up and say, hey, Sarah or John, I'm thinking of buying stock in X. What do you think of that? Well, Zia, that's particularly risky stock in your portfolio. I happen to know because I manage it. Your portfolio is heavy in risky stocks. You ought to think about bonds right now, especially with the market changing. Intellectual property is very similar. Um, your your patent lawyer um, will often say, sure, that would be, you think you have a new invention in the area of X. That's great. It sounds like it's similar to one we did before, but it sounds like an improvement. It would be a good way to spend money, or maybe it's too similar to one you did before. I don't think it makes sense to, to follow that one up. Now, whether you'll get that advice and how that advice will come across will depend on your relationship. And there is there is such a thing as maintaining your IP by do, doing ongoing work when needed, uh, deadlines looming. So that's the ongoing relationship with your IP lawyer. It's not just that. Yes, it is certainly the ongoing. Uh, patents, for example, have, uh, number one, the, the se first several years, we, we, you, you had asked about life cycle. When patents are, and I th you focus on patents, and that's not unfair because they're in some ways more complicated. The trademarks parallel them. Uh, not in the technical complexity, but in the administrative complexity. And in both cases, whether it's patents or trademarks, an application is made to a government in the, the U.S. The U.S. government, for example, here. Um, an application is made, the government re reviews it, an expert at the government, whether it's a trademark attorney or trademark examiner, we sometimes call them, or a patent examiner. And they may push back and say, no, that's not 
registrable and you'll have to argue the attorney will argue with them and hopefully an accord is reached and hopefully a registration issues whether it's a patent registration which we simply call patent or a trademark registration and then there are fees and filings as the years go on patents tend to be every four years um, there are maintenance fees and trademarks have their own set of um, ongoing obligations if they're to stay around for a long period of time. You also asked about life cycle patents tend to last of a, a given patent is only good for 20 years, not from necessarily from its filing, but with what we call its priority date, the earliest date it claims um, its inventive rights to. So but you can think of it as sort of a 20-year period or maybe a 17-year period was the old number we used. Um, but you can sort of think of that two-decade-long period. But again, the priority date is the start of the period. Trademarks can go on for a long period of time. Okay. So yes, there's ongoing stuff. But the first few years can be intense, frankly. Uh, not a, you know not not stressful one hopes, but at least intense in terms of activity to and from the patent or trademark office. And last question. And it seems that we're going to have to do a follow-up episode. This is very interesting. <laughs> you know, this complex area. Yeah, I <laughs> yeah. hey, I love it. Uh, do pat do IP lawyers tend to have other degrees? Like, do they tend to be lawyers and engineers? Do they tend to have multiple expertise to combine that, or not really? Yeah. Um, so the general requirement to come a become a patent lawyer. Or patent lawyer, I suppose, going to the beginning of this conversation, uh, is an is a technical technical degree. Uh, could be an engineering degree, could be a science degree. Um, bio, I'm, not, I'm sorry, there's no biotech degrees out there, but biology. It could be an advanced degree, so it could be chemistry, biology, physics. Uh, can be engineering of any sort. Uh, early on, I believe when I started practicing computer science degrees or uh, en computer engineering degrees may or may not have been enough to become a patent attorney. Now it's well accepted. I believe that they are. But in any event, yes, your typical patent attorney is got more than one degree behind them, um, whether it's in the life sciences, physical sciences or engineering. Excellent. So your name is? I am David Pausner. I'm a, an attorney. At, no, you. <laughs> I've known you for ten more. years. So okay. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. I'm I have not. my IP lawyer ready to go. Yes. Excellent. I'm, Love having yeah. you. Thank you. Yeah. And definitely, we're going to do a follow up to discuss <laughs> this in more detail, and for a more advanced IP. Thank you very much. Uh, my pleasure. Thank you, Ziad. Thank you for listening to Never a Dull Moment. We hope you have enjoyed the show. Have a great day and goodbye until the next episode.